Hi all, this is What Fresh Insight, a show that looks at the big questions from new, unexpected angles. Who are we? What is really going on? And how do we bring good into this mundane, sublime, spiritual, and sometimes silly world of ours? I'm Sarah Bariza, a writer and musician, and today I'd like to talk about racism and little kids. And before you think, well, I don't have any little kids in my life, uh, I want to talk about this through the lens of something very concrete that I think is actually really helpful for all the grown-ups, whether or not you are engaged in the moral formation of very small children. Now, as we know, very small children, and I'm thinking like in the like six and under crowd, are pretty concrete people. They don't deal much in abstract. They don't really understand what the week is. And if they take a nap in the day, they're not really sure if it's the same day or a different day. And just abstract things are really difficult to talk about. So if we're thinking about raising uh, children who are aware of racism and are actually anti-racist, we have to think about how how do we begin to talk about this in a concrete way. So a little bit about me, since you can't see me, I am white and I have lived most of my life in mostly white spaces. I'm also in an interracial marriage and I have biracial children. So when I think about raising children who are anti-racist, I think both in terms of raising my own children to be anti-racist and I also think about the very real racism that they have experienced and the racial stereotyping that they have already experienced even as little children and that they will unfortunately experience even more of as they grow. So I'm thinking about this both in terms of uh, preparing my children for the broader world and also raising them to be anti-racist people. So here is my very concrete suggestion. Begin the conversations and live through these conversations with little children, not by talking about racism and anti-racism, but by talking about ancestors and white supremacy. Here's what I mean by this, and here's why I think this is also helpful for grown-ups, whether or not you are a parent, grandparent, aunt, uncle, somehow engaged with morally forming little children. When we think about our ancestors, we have something really concrete to relate to. Race is a construct. It's a pretty bizarre construct. It's one that we live with, um, and it's one that is um, we kind of have to interact with because this is the world that we live in. But thinking about our ancestors is very specific and very concrete. So here's how a conversation might go. You're talking with a small child, and you're thinking about, well, hey, how did I get blue eyes? How did I get brown hair? Why do I have this specific nose? Oh, well, you have grandma's nose. Grandma is your ancestor, and you look a little bit like grandma. So you can think about it in terms of personal uh, appearance. This can also be you're talking about your friend and your friend looks different from you. Well, so-and-so has ancestors that had this color skin, that have this kind of hair, that have this kind of nose. So you're thinking about it in terms of appearance, but you're also able to talk about your ancestors in terms of family culture. So you're able to say, oh, well, we celebrate this holiday because our ancestors are this religion, or we talk this kind of way because our ancestors came from this specific place and then they settled in this specific place in the United States. And guess what? People from this specific part of the United States have this accent. So that's why we talk in this kind of way. So when you are tying your own family history in terms of how people look and how people act in your own family culture. And when you're tying it into this really concrete, specific, uh, something that if children can understand who their parents and who their grandparents are, little children can begin to understand, oh, well, my ancestors came from thus and such a place. 
Now, side note, if you're talking with your little children in this type of concrete way, that means eventually you can begin to talk about immigration. You can begin to talk about uh, the colonization of the United States. And, and of course, I'm here, I'm thinking specifically in the United States. And this your mileage may vary depending on uh, what country you're located in. But you're able to talk about, oh, well, the ancestors on this side of the family, they came through the United States in the 1950s. And the ancestors on this, this uh, side of the family came at thus and such a time and come from these different countries. And so you, this is really, really concrete. All of this is very concrete. Granted, I mean, little kids do not understand 50 years ago. <laughs> but they understand like, oh, well, this was a long time ago, or this was very recently. They can, they can get some of that relative, uh, relative knowledge there. So when you have that kind of concrete, our ancestors are like this, oh, we're, let's talk about our friend's ancestors. Let's talk about aunt so-and-so and her ancestors. That's a really concrete thing. Oh, well, her grandma came from thus and such a place, or she immigrated from thus and such a place. And people there speak this language and they have this religion typically. So when you have that very concrete thing, then Sadly, we need to talk about this. You can begin to talk about white supremacy, which is to, you know, really, uh, really paint a broad brushstroke is to say that people who came from Europe who are white are better than other people because of how they look and because of their family culture or their, their historical culture, because of how their ancestors were, who their ancestors are, uh, their family culture, their family religion, that these are all better than XYZ other ancestors. So, that is a very concrete way of framing really what racism is, but in a way that lets little children see in their very tangible world, oh, well, that doesn't make sense to say like, so-and-so's grandma is better than my grandma, or, you know, my grandma is better than another grandma. Well, we just have different ancestors and our ancestors have different religions and different family cultures and different <laughs> food that we eat or wh whatever the things are. That's really concrete. And it's something that little children, I mean, little children understand thinking that you're more important than someone else. Granted, they are little ego maniacs. And literally, they are, they are all focused on ego, but that's part of the moral formation that we're doing of these children is to get them so that they're not so focused on their own selves and begin to focus on other people. Now, that is a much more abstract thing, and that is, in many ways, a lifelong process. We are spending our lives learning to love our neighbors. But this begins the conversation in a very, very concrete way that little kids can understand. And maybe if you're a grown-up listening to this thinking, oh, actually, this helps me understand racism and anti-racism in a different kind of way because it is so, so concrete. Now, related to this and what I was just saying about neighbors is something that is more abstract. And I, when I... You know, in the, in the online sphere of white parents thinking about how to raise anti-racist children, I see a lot of uh, attitudes that are really self-focused and not focused in love for neighbors. So I think that as we're thinking about how do we morally form our children, the children, you know, our nieces, our nephews, our biological children, whatever these, these kids are, I think that maybe we begin in this self-centered way because, again, we're dealing with small kids who are egocentric. Uh, but but that's not the end goal. We may be thinking, yes, I want to raise children who are moral. I want to raise children who are good. I want to raise, raise children who, I mean, sometimes it comes down to like in things that I see online, like I don't want kids who are going to embarrass me on the playground, which is, I mean, that's a place to start, but it's not the place that you want to end, right? That's a, that's a motivation, but that is not anywhere near a uh, love for neighbors and a love for community and a goal of building community with a wide range of people and to be welcoming to all of our neighbors. 
So when we are thinking about uh, talking about our children and raising our children to be aware of racism and to be anti-racist, we have to think about what is the end goal there. And then if we think about our own selves and how we want to be in the world, like, yeah, okay, we want to be moral, we want to be good, but in the end, what, what does that really mean? Well, that means a love for other people. Uh, for me as a religious person, that means seeing the divine in other people. That means seeing God in every single neighbor, no matter who that neighbor is, no matter what they act like, no matter if they're mean to me, I want to see God in that person. And that's how I want to raise my children to be. So if we're thinking about this concrete thing, we have our ancestors. Here's where our ancestors came from. We can take that. That's a very self-focused type of thing. Oh, here's my ancestor. Here's my grandma. Here's, you know, the, sp the special holiday that we celebrate because our ancestors came from this place. And then you can begin to look outward and think about learning to love how other people do things and to value and cel celebrate how other people do things. Again, this is really concrete. This is not the end point. This is, I'm thinking about how do you talk with a four-year-old? Uh, but, you know, this is also a place for some grownups to start, many of us grownups to start and think, oh, this is a way to begin. And maybe I'm beginning in a self-focused kind of way. And then I can realize that that is not my end goal. My end goal is to love my neighbors. And when I think of my children, my end goal is to teach them to love their neighbors. So ancestors, white supremacy, and what is the end goal? Loving neighbors, not being self-focused. And now for a read of the week. It is The Lady's Handbook for Her Mysterious Illness, and it is by Sarah Ramey. This is a memoir, and I think it is for anyone who has been in the medical system, who has dealt with healthcare professionals, who really couldn't hear you, who, you know, had their own things going on and weren't able to understand what you were saying, whether or not you, in the end, received good medical care. Uh, I think many of us have, have interacted with healthcare professionals who were just not able to to hear you. I mean, maybe they could literally hear your words, but they couldn't understand what you were saying or didn't believe you or thought you were exaggerating. And maybe that isn't really pain that you're experiencing. Maybe, maybe you just need to take a laxative. So the lady's handbook for her mysterious illness by Sarah Ramey. And last but not least, a delight of the week. Uh, I want to recommend maple espresso tea from Trader Joe's if you have access to a Trader Joe's where you live. Uh, it seems like an odd thing, at least to me, like maple and espresso in a tea. That's a little weird. Uh, but what I find is that people who've tried it and then want tea are like, ooh, I want that one. And I also find that it is a really nice uh, substitute for actual coffee in the afternoon. Um, I personally cannot do like a cup of caffeine at two o'clock without feeling like the world is ending. So the maple espresso tea gives me that little uh, little uh, reminiscence. It, uh, it gives me that memory of coffee without the, uh, the anxiety of coffee at that time of day. Thanks for listening to What Fresh Insight, and I hope you'll join me next week for another episode. You can find me online at sarah-bereza.com, B-E-R-E-Z-A, where you can also subscribe to my free newsletter. See you next week.